More conversation with a couple of Tulsa World sports columnists, Garen Emig. Uh, my name, I'm with Bill Haston, my friend and colleague, and uh, we thank you for tuning in. First off, we uh, we do this once a week. You can check out the video version at TulsaWorld.com. Uh, we take the audio and turn it into a podcast. And as is the case with most podcasts, you can find ours via Apple, Spotify, or Google. Thanks very much for both listening, watching, and reading. Uh, and Bill, speaking of reading, we've got a couple of things to break out this week because it's, uh, well, it's signing day. And although it's not as all-encompassing as it was before they added the early period, the early signing day in December, it's still notable because uh, the Bedlam schools, among others, are still adding players. Just today, Barry Hill Lyman named Davis Dodson pledged to uh, Oklahoma State last week. A uh, player who was going to go to Texas Tech from Heritage Hall over in Oklahoma City named Gavin Freeman decided instead to uh, walk on as a preferred walk on to Oklahoma. Shades of uh, there was a connection to Wes Welker, obviously. Uh, uh, a lot of people comparing Freeman to Welker back uh, back in the day when he went to Texas Tech when the Sooners uh, did not offer him. We'll see if Freeman becomes that impactful at OU. Uh, and you spoke with Sam Pittman over in Fayetteville about Arkansas making inroads with regard to college football recruiting in the Metro. So you um, you tell me where you where you want to begin all that. Well, it's interesting, Garen, because I've been at the World since 1990, and and depending on who the head coach was at any given time at Arkansas, there was a great inconsistency with how Arkansas viewed the Tulsa market and Oklahoma, but more specifically the Tulsa market, because like I told Sam Pittman. My house in Tulsa is two miles closer to his stadium than it is to OU stadium. Right. And so, and, and I, w I just really wanted to know about his approach because really his first victory in recruiting after getting the Arkansas job was pretty immediate, but he came to Broken Arrow, he came to Tulsa and visited the home of Miles Slusher, a uh, defensive back who Sam had been recruiting on behalf of Georgia before he got the Arkansas job. And when he got, uh, when Sam compelled Miles Slusher to commit to and sign with the Razorbacks, that really resonated uh, in a big way with other kids in this market because, like, Miles is one of those kids that everybody had played with since little guy ball and had known and and uh, an influential kind of an athlete, you know. Uh, but Sam basically said, we view Tulsa. Of course, I don't want to, like, roll the whole thing out, but, but he said, basically, Tulsa is as much an in-state Mm -hmm. uh, we view uh, uh, Tulsa as an in-state market as much as we do Little Rock or Northwest Arkansas, uh, and which makes perfect sense because it is two hours away. And and uh, but you've got what I think I, think I counted eight Oklahoma kids on the Arkansas roster now. I mean, they're not just going to sign Oklahomans just for the sake of, but you know when there's you know a kid who can help them win an SEC game over here, they're going to make a big run at them and. And, you know, he can't comment, certainly, on commits. Right. But he got a big one the other day from another influential name in this market, Luke Hass, the tight end from Vicksburg. That's right. That's been, right. Who had been committed for months to OU and then decommitted after the coaching change and now is is committed to – now, he's a class of 23 guy, so he's, he's still got a year to go, but uh, – the Haas family is a very prominent football family in this market. Their dad was a good player at Jinx. Uh, Luke's twin, Dylan Haas, Garen, I would say is at 
no worse than one of the five best players in my mind in Tulsa. He's just, it's so interesting. They're twin brothers, but they're like physically so different. He's a mm-hmm. smaller guy. He's a playmaking guy, man. And, and really, he's going to be a really good player for somebody. He's he's a Dylan Stoner type who could literally do anything on a football field. And, and so Dylan has, whether he becomes part of a package deal with Lucas, I know, I know for a fact that that Dylan is on Arkansas's radar. And if I were Arkansas, I would, I would just, I would offer both twins. Mm-hmm. Today. But, but yeah, but, but that'll, I'll, I'll write that for the uh, Wednesday paper, which is signing day Wednesday. And, um, but you know, you're right. The first couple of years after the December signing date, after the advent of that the February signing day became an afterthought, kind of a not very celebrated, not very significant uh, second signing day, except now I think it's kind of re- regained its its relevance because of the freedom of movement now with the portal and everything. Right. Suddenly after these ball games or whatever, at the end of the season, you've got positions of need, right? And you can kind of use that second signing day to, to do some patchwork with your roster. That's right. Coaches are going to be making choices too. Uh, they lose; they're going to lose upwards of double figures numbers of players, and this is across the board to the portal. And so, what do you do to replace? Uh, does, is it is it is it going to be you know a like for a like? Do you go into the portal to get the pl- to 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 help patch those uh, those holes, or uh, with a little bit of relief scholarship wise from the NCA because of uh, COVID and the extra year of eligibility that was afforded to all of the athletes. Do you load up maybe a little bit more on a recruiting class than you might otherwise, uh, how do you strike that balance? It's an interesting question. It's also an interesting question. Uh, how do you, how do you deal with this stuff from a high school perspective? Our, our colleague Kelly Hines wrote about that over the weekend for the world, which uh, she had comments from Bill Blankenship at union and uh, Lauren Montgomery Bixby, as well as a few college coaches that we're quite familiar with about that phenomenon. So it's, it's a lot of moving parts right now, not just for the college coaches, but, but the, uh, the high school ones as well. I just don't think, I don't think any two years, I think each year will be like a really unique snowflake kind of a deal because, you know, circumstances each year will be a little different. And, mm-hmm. and so it, it'll result in, I think the December signing day will always have its, was, will always be important, but um, the importance of the February date for each school will vary depending on the roster hits you take, like you said, you know, uh, post-bowl or post-regular season. So, uh, but we have it coming up, and I, I'm not aware of any, like, blockbuster-type uh, possibilities, uh, but you never know. And, and like like you said, I mean, this, this Berryhill kid, Davis Dotson, Garen, I, I first started to hear of him around midseason, and people would say, oh, my Lord, there's a six-foot-eight offensive tackle at Berry Hill. He can really play. He's really athletic, great footwork, and, like, nobody's really after this guy. And I'm like, how can that possibly be? And then as it turns out, he's six-foot-six, I guess, is what I read here. Uh, but but a uh, very athletic-looking kid and, you know, commits to Oklahoma State. Um, Davis Dotson. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, uh, I mean, you have to play a numbers game with offensive linemen over there because that's right. It's been an eight year slump, 
um, they've either been average or below average for eight years, and they've got to get that fixed. Mm-hmm. And if we were, if they had, a, if they were better up front, they'd have won the Big Twelve. That's it's, it's that simple. So, um, but it's interesting that this this kid that was um, seemingly ignored or, or really not a very prominent guy on on very many radars. Mm-hmm suddenly uh opportunity knocks so for him the february uh second chance signing day is a godsend let me ask you about one more one more player who's going to factor in this week it's a young man you've gotten to know personally and you've seen him play a few times obviously but um you've also talked to him because he's been through so much with regard to his career it's a player that i believe eric bailey our our uh, ou beat writer is is going to uh to uh to touch on touch pay, touch base with this week maybe in the uh, the tuesday world i'm not sure where eric uh, where eric's timeline is on this but i know he's talking to him and that's that's gentry williams the kid at booker t washington he uh he's been through it hadn't he physically and and everything position changes and all over his uh, over his career at, at at btw and yet he comes out still a pretty good shine on his on his profile does he not with the uh, Four stars still attached, and uh, and and a, and a map to to Norman apparently still in place. Right, I, uh, you know, he he had a I guess not all ACL tears are created equal, uh, but at the front end, uh, set game two I believe of the twenty twenty season, Gentry sustained a torn ACL and missed the rest of that season, and then uh, I guess instead of being long-winded about it, I don't know where he stands with regard to trusting that knee mm-hmm. to being fully capable of, of cutting. You know, when he was an eighth grader, an eighth grader, he was, he had the fastest, I think this is right, the fastest 400 meter time in the state. And I don't mean among other eighth graders. I mean, period. Mm. I mean, among high school and middle school kids, he had the fastest 400 time in the state of Oklahoma as an eighth grader. And really that's when his reputation blossomed, you know? And uh, so, um, yeah. Oh, no, no, no question about it. I mean, he's, he's, uh, the, the knee was a terrible, terrible setback. Uh, I saw, I don't know, four games this season. Um, and it's hard to tell where he stands, to be honest. But mm-hmm. he, he, uh, through about the first month of the season, he played without a brace. Uh, after that, he he did. He was pretty heavily braced. I don't know what that means. I don't know if the doctor said put the brace on or if he chose to do that. I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm hopeful that yeah, another off season of of uh, separation from the injury, uh, more rehab, more conditioning. That you know he gets closer to pre-injury gentry uh, than he seemed to be in 21. We'll see. I, I, I just know at his best, uh, he is an elite speed player. Elite. I mean, uh, and can and you know a really nice coverage guy. But I just don't know where he stands with that leg. I just don't. Transfer wise, another week where we don't know where Caleb Williams is going or what he's doing. <laughs> we get the feeling the percentage of people who care is dropping <laughs> as, as he continues to put that off. He's plummeting. Um, I, I say that, and then when he decides, it, it'll be the topic, you know, for 36 straight hours around here. Um, Jackson Dart looks like he's bound for Ole Miss. Shane Ellingworth, that's that's a, something I should probably throw out. The two-year uh, backup to Spencer Sanders over in Stillwater. 
not that ex- not that unexpected, I guess. Right after two years of, of essentially, you know, he got some time when when Sanders got hurt and was unavailable in in uh, sp- sporadically. But you could didn't take much to to read that he was he was not the future at that position, even after Sanders uh, exhausted his eligibility. Curious where he ends up. Um, I don't know how to say this without sounding harsh, but if you can't recruit above and better than Shane Ellingworth, uh, then you got a real problem. And he, he, he's got, I keep hearing, I've heard so many people say, uh, that this guy has like, like a list arm talent. I've never seen that. I mean, he, he's a, he throws the football fairly well. He's a taller kid. He's, Certainly not very mobile. He's a classic pocket thrower, but but I mean, OSU needs to bring in a quarterback. OSU needs to bring in their next uh, starting quarterback. I guess mm-hmm. that's what I'm trying to say. And I never had viewed Shane Illingworth as the answer or as a guy who could really push uh, Spencer Sanders for that job. So I mean, yeah, I mean, you you don't want to lose depth at quarterback is critically important. And he has had to step in, and he did step in and win a couple of games. You know, we've seen that. But um, it's time for Mike Gundy to recruit better than Shane Ellingworth. It just is. On the subject, I just posted uh, before coming on with you a uh, call and blog, whatever you want to call it. They're one and the same anymore about the attrition in Stillwater to the portal, a couple of readers emailed after the Illingworth news last week and asked what's going on, essentially. Off the top of my head, my reply, my reply was, what's going on is what's going on everywhere. Yeah. Right? It's not unique, to, not unique to Oklahoma State. Then I dug into the individual players leaving, read some background comments they had made to either outlets or, or uh, uh, recruiting services, as is often the case. You'll see the recruiting services get a hold of these kids initially. And uh, and just get a, an update on on the decision making process. And I, if you're if you're reading into whether there's something wrong uh, or some an issue with with Mike Gundy or or the staff at OSU, I you know, I suppose someone could have could be bothered by something that's that wouldn't be college football if, if there wasn't one problem on the roster or, or a few. But just generally, Bill, I, I think this is this you chalk this up to again sign of the times. Uh, Georgia beats Alabama and has eight players leave the program. I mean, we'll I'll go straight to the top of the heap here. Alabama lost seven players the day yeah. after they lost to Georgia. Yeah. Michigan State just won 11 games, and I think their number is 13 or 14 since the end of the season. So it's happening everywhere, and it's happening for the same reasons. That's play, playing time primarily. Stars in a lot of these kids' eyes as far as this is a better route to the NFL, which is where they all end up, where they all ultimately want to end up. And then in the case of a Tanner McAllister, he's following Jim Knowles to Columbus, right? Desmond Jackson's uh, been sitting in the uh, in the running back room for a couple of years. Well, he's going to Sam Houston to play for uh, a guy who was just hired as the Bearcats running backs coach. I mean, so you've got players following coaches, players following, again, their dreams, and it's easier than ever to do it via the portal. That, to me, is a story in Oklahoma State, not that there's something internally wrong necessarily. Well, the uh... – you know, like I'm, I'm looking at a piece here about uh, Jarek Bernard Converse's transfer to LSU. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that one hurts. That oh, one. Well, oh, some of these hurt. You lose no, Bernard Converse and McAllister in the secondary. That's a pro- that you're going to feel that. 
Yeah. But I don't think there's anything nefarious is what I'm saying. I, you know, Bernard, I haven't seen anything from Bernard Converse in terms of public statements, but he's a Shreveport kid. No, so surely, right. surely right. yeah, he had a connection to someone or someone's on that staff. So. Uh, yeah, I, no, I don't, I, I don't, I think if there were, if something was broken inside the program and causing, uh, you know, the OSU football program to have a sudden uh, surge of guys want, wanting out, uh, we'd hear about it. I would hear about it. We And Eli would hear about it. So, right. I mean, I don't think it's that. I think each situation is unique to that kid and his reason, their reasons are unique to each kid. And no, I don't think it's a crisis. You know, it's unfortunate when you, I mean, a year ago, we were sitting here talking about how Tulsa had lost two starting corners that that were hidden gem type recruits that nobody really, nobody else really wanted. They bring them in, they develop them, they turn them into really good players with potential NFL, um, you know, careers ahead of them. And then, yeah. and then they're gone. And the third guy in the cornerback rotation at TU, he left. And so what they do, they, you know, the portal taketh away and, and you can go in there and get it. So right. Get you some too. And that's what Tulsa did. So, um, in the moment, you're, it's deflating uh, because these are guys that made plays on a shockingly good Oklahoma State defense for mm -hmm. a shockingly good Oklahoma State defense. So, I mean, yeah, in the moment, it's deflating, but but then you have no idea what's around the corner with regard yeah. to incoming surprises, and there will be because it's inevitable. That's right. Um. Gosh, college – okay, well, I, I transitioned to college basketball, and then I think, okay, we talk about – we could talk about OSU. That's a 500 team right now. Yeah, it and is. Mike Boynton, and Mike Boynton had some pretty pointed things to say about, apparently, at his press conference this morning in terms of just a little bit too much me in that locker room and not we. You can sort of detect that watching him play. Oklahoma is uh, probably overachieving to have the record that they have, uh, but still under 500 in the Big 12. Tulsa, I think, just won its first league game. Right over the weekend, Saturday night. Yes, weren't they, weren't uh, they uh, at Owen seven? Uh, it was Tulsa's worst starting conference play in seventy three years, and so they got off. Uh, they got off of that and won. You know, played beautifully and beat South Florida. South Florida's not any good, but but you know, one and seven. Uh, I guess looks a little better than Owen eight, but it's got to feel a heck of a lot better than what 0 and 8 would have felt like. So I don't know. It's uh, I don't know what to expect uh, at the end of the season. I thought it was interesting that I wasn't tuned in, but, you know, I've heard from several people that Coach Haith did not do his postgame show after two of the last three losses, I think, which is kind of weird. Hmm. Uh, it's part of the gig, you know, step up and talk about it. Um, I don't know what's going to happen there in a few weeks. Um but I just know that a year ago today, Rick Dixon was an interim athletic director. And then mm -hmm. today he is an athletic, the athletic director with, with what, uh, two plus years left on a contract and, and with the full support of Brad Carson and presumably with the ability to do whatever he thinks is right uh, for the program. So uh, we'll see how that shakes out at the end of the season. Yeah. Well, but like attendance, the attendance levels, uh, as we speak, Garen, are the worst 
since the season before Nolan Richardson was hired. And mm -hmm. like you say, 0 and 7, an 0 and 7 start in conference play speaks for itself. So yeah. tough times at TU for basketball. Yeah, tough times across the state. Again, you're in. Uh, bring up or you, but it's, it almost feels like we're cheating because their season comes down to three games and uh, two falls. Does it not? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. It did last year. I mean, they were fourth in the regular season and in the uh, semifinal game, they needed a walk-off tip in to win in the conference tournament. And in the championship game, they needed an unbelievable block shot at the end of the game to win that one. I mean, they were that close to a limit to their season being done. Um, and then they get into the tournament as a 15. And as we all remember, uh, bump Ohio State out yeah. in the first round and then bump Florida and missed by that much bump in Arkansas. So no, you're right. I mean, they're just playing for South Dakota. They're just playing to get ready to go to South Dakota and try to defend that championship. Occasionally, it's uh, it's fun to look ahead at, in terms of what we have uh, to present the audience in the in the coming days. And uh, I've been curious, in particular, about a project that you've uh, you've been working on for for a while now. Um, again, without giving away the word for word, as as was the case the last time we talked about your your tremendous piece on Clyde Barkley. I I, I am curious what you can share about uh, your nod to uh, to a Title IX anniversary. Tell us what's up. Right. Okay. So this this also will be published uh, Wednesday morning, and and it's this year is the 50th anniversary of the federal Title IX federal legislation that that requires you know these institutions to provide for the women exactly what they provide for the men with regard to scholarships, facilities, accommodations, all of it. So uh, I interviewed uh, several women for this piece, but but my favorite interview was with Edie Allen, who's mm -hmm. interesting because she she's a 1976 graduate of Hale High School, okay? She's the daughter of a Hall of Fame coach, Bill Allen of Webster High School. So you think, well, she must have had a great and fulfilling high school career, right? She didn't have a high school career because Hale didn't have girls basketball. Uh, and this was, she was a senior four years after Title IX, uh, came into play and so like I wrote the wheels of progress hadn't started rolling in Tulsa just yet and so she graduated from high school and she had her basketball experience had been limited to playing like rec league basketball and park league basketball and she, she was I showed you the picture she was wearing a remember the Chico's bell bonds uh basically <laughs> Bad News Bears. <laughs> she was wearing it's uh, like uh, she played for a team that was sponsored by a sheet metal company, and uh, so she graduates in '76. Yeah, which was just like three months ahead of TPS's uh, mandate that from now on we got girls basketball. This is ridiculous. So, TU uh, TPS girls basketball came into play the '76-'77 season. Edie Allen actually went on to OSU as a walk on and became a two year starter. Uh, but I interviewed like uh, Sepulpa coach Darlene Caleb and uh, Union athletic director Emily Barkley, who was a good player and now is is a one of the top ADs in the state. And met, met these two 11 year old twin uh, sisters who are going to be like three or four years from now. They will be like household names in girls basketball in this city. It well statewide. 
and they're going to be like six foot, six one, uh, just dynamic players. And and so basically, it's just uh, kind of almost like a, the way it turned out, almost a decade by decade look at how things got a little better over time. Although <laughs> even into the nineties at Union, like Emily Barkley said, as seventh eighth as a seventh eighth and ninth grader, they practiced every day at six thirty in the morning. Because she explained that's just the way they'd always done it. The girls had to get up at five in the morning and go to practice at six o'clock, and the boys had the gym after school. And there was no alternating that or no wavering from that ever. It was just the girls had to go to, and it makes you wonder how many girls were unable to play, mm-hmm. or willing to play because they didn't want to have to get out of bed at five fifteen. So, it, and it coincides also. Wednesday is national girls and women in sports day so i thought the combination of the title nine anniversary and that day be a good piece so yeah. a good a good uh, reason to look at edie allen's experience in basketball and how she was the top maybe the top player in the city at that time in 76 garen but she didn't have a high school team to play for incredible yeah sheet metal <laughs> yeah i couldn't make out the name of the sheet metal company, I'd give it to read it, but I can't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I love that picture. It's it's a view. Well, listen, that's gonna be a great story. Um, Title Nine, you hear it. We've heard it so many times and applied in so many different areas over the years, Bill, that you sort of lose track of the original intent, right? And then to to dig into when it really did have an impact uh, and to and to recognize the milestone is uh it's it's more than worthwhile. I'm really glad you're doing that. I'm sure the readers are going to be glad to uh, to take a look at what you've got to uh, to present at midweek. Um, you like the uh, the Super Bowl matchup? You good with that? I'm uh, honestly I'm more excited for the new Jackass movie coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like the Jackass movies? I, I, I bowed out of the Jack. I I think I saw the. How many have they done? I think I I think I bowed out after the second one. Well, there's. The uh, Jackass, Jackass sequel, <laughs> Jackass 3D, and then now there's Jackass Forever. Uh, oh, God. So, <laughs> I, but I've seen the trailer enough to know that I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I picked the Rams to win it all preseason, so uh, not that I'm, like, uh, that fired up about the Rams getting there. Right. But I did expect that Matthew Stafford would be a real impactful guy for them. Uh yeah. I can't believe what I saw at Arrowhead yesterday. Can't believe it. I don't know. I can't believe the second half in overtime that Patrick Mahomes had. And now I'm like, wow. In a period of two and a half hours, I went from thinking Patrick Mahomes now with Brady's retirement is the undisputed king of NFL quarterbacks. And by the end of that game, I felt like, wow, Joe Burrow and Josh Allen are the kings of NFL quarterbacks now. I mean, Really, I mean, in my mind, for the time being, it's their world. I right. think Josh Allen is a force, and then and then Joe Burrow. I mean, it, what a clutch kid! And man, he just—I don't know—he just got it, man. Whatever it is, he got it. And yep. How? Hey, go ahead. I'm a believer. Uh, I'm a believer. Uh, you know, the Bengals are interesting, but Joe, Joe Burrow yeah. is amazing. How, you know, and Joe Mixon is a lot better pro football player than I thought he'd be. Yeah. I don't know what I expected, really. Uh, and how about your man, uh, Piran, making a big play yesterday? Well, that was 
It's good. Yeah, it's interesting to see those two guys together again after all this time. Mix it in P. Ryan. Bill, I switched at the Norman transcript once upon a time. I switched to the OU football beat midseason in 2001. Do you know the quarterback I was covering at that time? Do you have any idea who that would have been? For the Sooners? No, who was the high school quarterback I was covering when I switched to the OU beat 20 years ago? He he was a Nor- he was Norman High's quarterback, and he's uh, one of the coaches in the Super Bowl. Which oh, one? Zach Taylor. That's right. Yeah. He, I, he, so he I, go, that, that's my rooting interest. Did he go straight? Well, that's awesome. Did he go straight to Nebraska or did he go? No, Butler Community College. college. There you go. Okay. Kansas. But wasn't he the Big 12 Player of the Year? Or offensive, offensive, player? offensive player of the year? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I'm very happy for him because uh, what did he go, 2 and 14 and then 4 and 12? Or I didn't think he was going to. Yeah, I, I was worried for him. Yeah. Uh, or the season. I mean, the way it is in the NFL now, I mean, you don't really usually get that. You go six and whatever through two seasons, you usually mm-hmm. don't get that third season. And, and I don't know if the Bengals really, really kept him because they were of the belief that he would get it done or they yeah. just didn't want to buy him out after two years or what the or whether Joe Burrow said, no, man, this is my guy here. Right. I don't but uh, – Zach Taylor is, uh, y'all, he's at a, talk about a, a, a career building block for Zach Taylor. Wow. Mm-hmm. Man, they got weapons galore. Oh, it's, it should, yeah, you'd think that they're about to go on a run, but this is you know, the NFL and day to day. Day to day, you never know. Everybody brags about the Chiefs and their weapons. I mean, Chiefs don't have a guy like Mixon. I mean, at the same time, Cincinnati doesn't have a guy like Tyreek Hill either. But uh, <laughs> man, Jamar Chase ain't bad. Yeah, Cincinnati's uh, built for a nice, sustained run, I think now. But um, I don't know. I'm, I'm. Uh, I, I at the same time, I, I just saw that twenty-one-three. Here we go. This yeah. is going to be thirty-eight-thirteen, and let's go to the Super Bowl. And so the Rams get to host, actually host a Super mm-hmm. Bowl. You know, is it what NBC would want from a matchup standpoint? Eh, probably not. I mean, you know, you'd rather have Brady. You'd rather have the Cowboys. Uh, right. from a rating stand. How about the disastrous halftime shows yesterday? <laughs> you know that? I, I saw the uh, I saw the one in Kansas City. Well, the one in what uh, happened? What happened in the side? I skipped the second one. What happened? Well, a, a, more of the same. Not quite as extreme with the background noise just blowing out the. Oh, uh, okay. Oh my gosh, uh, it, it was you know the poor uh, CBS guys were just they could they just I, I, in fact I think uh, Boomer Sison said I can't I can't hear a word here I can't yeah. and it was outrageous. This giant speakers were positioned right behind the set, and you're thinking, well, obviously miscommunication. The game management people and the CBS people, you know, I mean, it'd be like if somebody literally, if a one man band with a tuba and a drum was standing <laughs> right behind you right now, just banging away, and you're trying to do a Zoom, that's what they're, uh, I mean, the networks pay billions for that. Right. Rights to do those games, and those halftime segments are sponsored, and and they get blown out in both, really both games uh, yesterday. But you know what? You got to be smarter than that. Maybe you shouldn't have your set on the turf. I was going to say, take it upstairs. I don't know. 
surely they've got productions production assistants who might have noticed where the speakers were being set up versus um yeah while you and i are talking i promise the nfl and network people are talking yeah uh, never let ever ever let that happen again i don't know i i think i'd take my uh my uh set i'd elevate it take it upstairs somewhere yep. that that was a that was a disaster but you know I, I just uh, I can't believe Kansas City got bumped. I yeah. can't believe it. Yeah, you, you had that amazing storybook game a week earlier, and you just saying, and you get out twenty one to three, and you think, of course, they're going to the Super Bowl. And uh, um, amazing resilience, Joe Burrow. Of course, Chiefs were that close at the end of the half and don't get a touchdown. And honestly, I didn't really think it was that critical a deal. Mm-hmm. I didn't think, oh, baby, that could be a uh, – I thought it was just a bad play call. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it turned out to be a massive deal and a real weird momentum switcher, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, no, I, I'm okay with the matchup. I mean, from a football standpoint, I just uh, – from a big story history standpoint. Right. I'd like to see Brady have gotten one more. I would like to have seen Brady get one more shot. And I think the the matchup that maybe might have resonated most with the viewers and resulted in the biggest rating would have been Brady versus Mahomes. Sure. Again. So, well, but I'm cool with Cincinnati. I'll watch it. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll talk more about it next week. Uh, I assume by then Tom Brady will have announced his retirement after. the pullback that's that's occurred since the, the original break via Adam Schefter, Jeff Darlington. I assume that he's he really isn't considering. He just wants to announce it on his terms. So we maybe we can address that a little bit, get back into college football and basketball. Uh, but in the meantime, what I'm going to do, based on your comments during during this show, a watch the original Bad News Bears mm-hmm. because yeah. of your Chico's bail bonds comment still right. still the best by far. Don't don't give me. I, I like Billy Bob Thornton. I don't want to hear about his version. Right. They they got it perfect with Walter Matthau and and uh, Tatum O'Neill and that crew. And then two, uh, I'm off to YouTube to watch uh, uh, Johnny Knoxville and, and Steve O. Sort hey, of on a loop. Have you not seen the trailer yet? <laughs> I have not. Uh, it's, it's, I, can, I can only imagine Johnny Knoxville is reti- has retired now from all the stunts because. In this movie, he he got badly hurt. Well, he's he's got more broken bones than Evil Knievel ever had, right? No, he yeah. I mean, he there's a video on YouTube in which he uh, details in sickening detail uh, all of his injuries, yeah. and, uh, including his left eye that popped out twice. Uh, and some a couple of injuries I can't yeah right share here on the show Zoom. So. Uh, <laughs> But look for a uh, watch the trailer and then do a search on Jackass Forever, the dumb, the dumb, dumb game, the dumb, dumb game. Check that out. And and when I saw that with Garrett, I said, take all of my money and show me the way. And because it's you can't stream it. You can only see it in theaters at first, so I'll be in the theater. To see the dumb, the dumb, dumb game would be a good uh, title for the podcast. I think you and I do every week. The dumb, right. dumb game. Oh my god! Well, yeah, uh, we can call it that, but we ain't gonna do what they do in the dumb, dumb game. <laughs> oh my gosh! You'll see. All right. Uh,
I probably shouldn't have uh, outed myself as a jackass. No, it's it, we're it makes me laugh. So whatever. forever teen man, it, sports writers and their senses of humor tend to drift that direction. There's nothing wrong with that. There really isn't. Um, I still I still watch Beavis and Butthead for a laugh get, when I get when I get down. Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm Monty Python makes me yeah, laugh. Um, it doesn't much. Dumb and Dumber <laughs> makes me laugh. <laughs> I even watched the making of, I don't know how I found this, but the making of Dumb and Dumber, like a documentary about it. And I, that assume, made me laugh. I, I mean, assume there was there was as much, there was better material that they didn't get included. Oh yeah. Plus, in the plus, final plus, cut. Nobody, no, no, uh, uh nobody in Hollywood wanted to go near that script. And yeah. they all thought it was just which it is idiotic, but that's the whole point. That's the point. Right. Yeah. And then uh, I guess Jim Carrey made Ace Ventura and got involved and it took the thing to a different level. So whatever. The Jackass Forever opens, let's see, uh, Friday. So maybe I'll, if there's a uh, stink preview Thursday night, I might sneak out. <laughs> this Friday, I'll probably be at a ball game somewhere. But Well, if you've seen it next week, you'll have to give us your, uh, your, oh, your, yeah. your play-by-play review. Um, I'll see. That, that we'll we'll top the show next week with that, and then move on to to the, to the less important topics. Yeah, we don't have meaningful football uh, yeah. for two weeks. So, um, yeah, this will be a good weekend to see it. This weekend's yeah, ne- next week's uh, the, the, uh, this, the heights and the lows and highs of soft of uh, sophomoric humor movies from Garen and Bill. That's what we'll do. Yeah. Oh so, yeah. yeah. Uh, Promise me you'll search for the dumb dumb game. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's so stupid. All right. It's classic. You're, I'm going to be, and then I'll have like I'll be in the rabbit hole of old jackass clips for the next couple hours and blow a good okay. working day. But I'll be happy and I'll be laughing. So right. you can catch this via Spotify, Apple, and Google podcast wise. Check the video format out at TulsaWorld.com. We'll be back to uh, to laugh with you a little bit more next week. For Bill, this is Garen, and uh, thanks very much for watching slash listening. For more information, you can visit TulsaWorld.com.